Thank you, and may I welcome up Anthony Davis. Wow, thank you, Dan. I mixed your notes. You did? Oh, no. What have you done? All right, guys, before we get started, I kind of got bombed by a surprise prophetic word from Chris. So if I look like I've been crying, I have, and I'm still a man. If you want to fight about it, I'll be... No, I'm just kidding. No. (laughs) And also, Nicole felt something really powerfully in worship, and I'd like her to share that. So I just want to take this opportunity, and I just felt like God wanted us to all just close our eyes and hold out our hands and um, receive the joy that he has. And I just want us to say... um, like joy rise up because when Christ lives inside of us he has those fruits of the spirit and joy fights depression and I specifically feel like God is opening a door for those who um, struggle with depression especially like seasonal depression with this winter coming that he's opening a door where the joy is going to fight that depression there's like a supernatural joy that's being released yeah and um whoa um yeah, and God laughs at our enemies. And so when there are things that we're struggling with, I want you to think about those things and then just say, God, right, joy rise up in me. Yeah. Here I got joy rise up in us right now. Yeah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And nothing can fight God. And when We just repeat that, God. Joy, rise up. 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 More and more, God, we want to be doused in your well of joy for us. I just want to encourage you guys. Um, to do that too when there's a hard moment you will be surprised what happens it's like the best laughing is like the best fighting tool ever (laughs) so true amen so if you're a visitor today and you're wondering is this one of those wonky churches that thinks God is still active and doing stuff we are I'm sorry. I'm sure the cat's out of the bag now. Yeah, Lord, thank you for your joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not a joy we have to conjure. It's a gift, God, and we accept it. Your joy, which is unending and indefeatable, is our strength, God. We welcome that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to talk about how it takes courage to be a bridge builder today. And it's kind of funny. I said it first service, and I'll say it again, that here I am talking about courage, and yet I am so happy that I am not one of the people that has to speak on sex. 
<laughs> Maybe that's irony. But more power to them, man. I got an easy topic. Yeah, so it does take courage. Before we get into it, let me just say, sometimes when we, we come to God, when we get saved, especially before we're saved, but even afterwards sometimes, we misunderstand exactly what God is all about and, and exactly what the Christian life is all about. And sometimes it ends up being kind of humorous. All right? I love Ravi Zacharias. He's been an apologist and a preacher for decades now. I love listening to his YouTube channel. And he has a whole team of hyper-intelligent, super-engaging people. And actually, I suggest getting on the RZIM YouTube channel and just being fed by these guys. They are awesome. But one of the guys on his team is this older English guy named Michael. And he was giving his testimony of how he came to faith in Christ almost against his will when he was... You know, in his college years, you know, and he'd been living in the world and, and uh, he was a really good sinner, you know. And he was on a retreat and he was sitting on a, on a hilltop pondering things and he came to this realization that he just couldn't fight it anymore. Darn it. I believe the Bible is true. And he got real depressed. And he walked down the hill and he called his friends together and he said, Guys, I have some bad news. From now on, I'm not going to be enjoying my life. I've decided to become a Christian. <laughs> and his friend... <laughs> it is funny, but that was big for him. He's like, I guess I'm going to give up on all this joy that I could have had as a sinner because I believe the gospel is true. He's fulfilled now. You know, he's, he's come into the truth that there's an awesome future for him, that God isn't a huge bummer. But he had a misunderstanding there, didn't he? And he laughs about it now. I'm going to tell you about a misunderstanding that I had about God. And this really came to a head when I watched The Last Samurai. Has anyone seen that old movie with Tom Cruise? Oh my gosh, I got some energetic hands in the sound booth. Amen. That's right. And thank you, graphics team, for always rolling with me on the last minute and getting my slides up. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So, I'm alone in my house. I'm watching The Last Samurai, and I'm sucked into this story, right, where somehow Tom Cruise ends up being The Last Samurai. I don't understand it, but he did it. That's Hollywood, yeah. So he's this worn-out, tired old guy who even despairs of life, and he gets taken captive by these samurai. And you, as the viewer, are sucked into their world with him. And before you know it, you're absolutely infatuated by everything about them, their way of life, how they live with dignity and honor and loyalty, and they're just virtuous and they're full of integrity. And then when it comes to battle, can anybody kick butt like a samurai? I don't think so. You know, they're charging guys with guns with pointy sticks, and they seem happy about it. I'm like, what courage? What valor? That is awesome. And, and there's this one scene in the movie where Tom Cruise is fake sword fighting with wooden swords with one of the little kids. And one of the big samurais decides, now's your time, hotshot. You know, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And he breaks Tom, Tom Cruise's face, basically. And then Tom Cruise gets up, you know, and he's going to try to take out this samurai bad idea. And the samurai breaks his face again, knocks him down. And there's this pretty brutal scene where he just gets, he's, gets his butt kicked, literally. And uh, that's the beginning of his training. Yay! But by the end of the movie, he really is one of them. 
And he's assumed that dignity. He's assumed that honor. He's assumed the, the, the virtue and the courage of the samurai. And he lives it out until the end. When I finished that movie, I was mad. I was angry, man. And I was all alone in the house, so I could turn off the, the movie. And I got down on my knees in the living room, and I said, God, I'm angry. I don't even know why I'm angry, God, but I'm really ticked off. And I prayed for a little bit. And finally I realized, Lord, I want to be like them. I want to be awesome and, and courageous and strong and honorable and, and live like they do, but I can't because I'm a Christian. And I had this belief that to be a Christian meant being wimpy. To be a Christian meant being passive. Thank you, Joe. To be a Christian meant being, we wouldn't call it this in the church, guys, but in my mind, it meant being a coward. Everything that I didn't like, I felt obligated to be, because that must be what denying myself means, in order to be a Christian. In the church, uh, I'm seeing true teachings now through this, this lie that I'm believing. So every time a pastor would teach on poverty of spirit, I'm like, oh man, I knew it. You know, I'm supposed to be a wimp. If they teach on meekness or on humility, this is just reinforcing the lie I already believe. And I'm I'm not really hearing the truth. I'm hearing you need to be a passive, cowardly wimp that gets walked on. For the glory of God, his kingdom come. Amen. That doesn't even make any sense. Okay? So today, I'm going to talk about how God, thankfully totally turned that around in my mind. And I began to realize that the things I thought were weak, the devil actually really wanted me to think were weak because they're actually very strong. Okay? These two ideas. And let's all just be thankful for a moment because I was going to preach through all the Beatitudes and then I realized that's crazy. So I picked two. Awesome. (laughs) These are two that really kind of got under my skin when I was believing this lie, that I had to be weak and wimpy and soft. And one is Matthew 5.3. This is how Jesus starts out the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Already I am not excited. You know, already I feel guilty for wanting to be strong and powerful and courageous. But the more I dug into this, the more I realized... This verse does not mean what I thought it meant. The word poor. This is the word, well, it's a funny sounding word. If anybody cares what the word is, I think it's pronounced patokos. There it is. Otherwhere in scripture, this word denotes the lowest of the low, of the poor. These weren't just the the lower class. The patokos, these were the people that had to beg for their very existence. If they, need, if they had anything, they got it on the charity of others. I need food. I need money. I need a place to sleep. They were beggars. And if you look up the definition, it says to be destitute, to be a beggar, to be beggarly. And this has some implications spiritually, for sure, but it most often referred to people that were physically poor. Jesus here says we need to be spiritual beggars. He actually miraculously says, blessed are the people that are spiritual beggars. That doesn't sound encouraging yet, does it? kind of sounds weak. But here's what this doesn't mean. To be poor in spirit is not to feel crappy about yourself. Here's another thing it doesn't mean. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean to think you have no worth. Because that's not valid. You have amazing worth. God values you a lot. 
To be poor in spirit doesn't mean you're sad about stuff all the time. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean to be depressed. To be poor in spirit actually means you have an accurate view of your real standing. It's just realism. But is that hard to realize? I think that's hard to realize. To realize you're poor in spirit is actually a gift of God. It's a product of the Holy Spirit working on your heart. I was reading a message. I like the fact that Spurgeon, I don't know if he wrote down all of his messages or somebody else wrote them down, but they are forever long. (laughs) They're really good. I don't think I've ever made it all the way through a single one. But this old preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, there's just a myriad of his sermons out there. And in the middle of one of them, he says, I got two letters this week, and I was really happy to get them. These two people writing me are miserable. Boy, that's weird. You know? And he says, I don't like to see people in hopelessness, and I don't like to see people continuing on in hopelessness, but I'm not at all against it, because I have hope that very soon they'll be released into the freedom of Jesus. And that state of mind and that state of heart of destitution and hopelessness, that's really poverty of spirit. It's the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to the fact that we need God a whole lot. But it's a choice. Let me read something. Has anybody heard, have you guys heard of Heidi Baker? Yeah. Heidi Baker is pretty amazing, is she not? So, she, she, for a long time, I confess, I thought she was just kind of one of those out there people. It was just kind of, it's kind of goofy, you know, out there doing her thing. And then Nicole was like, you know she has a PhD in systematic theology, right? I was like, no, I didn't know that. Rebuke, you know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I apologize for judging Heidi Baker, God, you know. So not only is she super sold out, she's super smart. This is what she says about being poor in spirit. Does poor in spirit mean financially poor? I believe Jesus meant that poor in spirit is a posturing of the heart where one is, check this out, wholly given, fully yielded, completely desperate, totally dependent on God alone. The Lord wants to cause even the rich and the middle class to be poor in spirit and know that they are in total need of him. Well, hold on a minute. Now we're at a definition that doesn't make me feel like a wimp. I can acknowledge my total need with, on God, right? That, that doesn't sound like, go be depressed and mopey. So I'm glad about this. But it actually gets better. When we acknowledge, when we choose to acknowledge and fully embrace this gift that God has let us know, hey, Joe, you really don't have what it takes. You need me. You know, if we're not offended by that, Anthony, you're not going to make it on your own, buddy. You need me. Okay, I choose to acknowledge that. Now what happens? We get to go to a verse in 2 Corinthians 12. Amazing graphics team. Oh yeah, look at that. Perfect. This is Paul talking about being poor in spirit, okay? He's just talked about how these amazing revelations have been given to him, and he's, he's basically said, I'm pretty hot stuff in the kingdom. God has given me a lot more revelation than a lot of other people, but this comes with it. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That sounds terrible. Why would God do that? Thanks a lot, Lord, for this favor you're doing me, right? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, hold on a minute. My grace is sufficient for you. Cameron taught about this a couple of years ago. And we read that and we think, my grace is just enough. My grace will get you through this weakness. But that word doesn't actually mean that. That word is actually another funny Greek word, which means possessed of unfailing strength. That's awesome. Why did they translate that? Sufficient. I mean, it's like, my grace is possessed of unfailing strength for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul has this dramatic revelation. Whoa! He's doing me a favor by keeping me aware of my weakness. God's doing me a favor by keeping me aware of my poverty of spirit. So I'm going to boast about my weakness so that Christ's power can rest on me. Next slide. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. When I'm weak, I am the conduit of God's power. When I acknowledge my destitution of spirit before God, He pours His power through me. Paul had this dramatic and yet no-brainer you know, uh, realization that God's power is better than His power. And he gets that by being aware of his weakness. Whoa. Well, that's not depressing at all. Right? What was Past Anthony thinking when he heard this? I want to be poor in spirit. Sign me up. That is the platform, another translation or another commentary says, by which we receive all of God's grace, by which we receive all the, the ammo for our spiritual guns, so to speak. This is the foundation acknowledging our poverty of spirit, this is where we start. And it's good. And it's a strong position. But it takes courage. It takes courage to face your poverty of spirit. Most people will do anything to avoid it. I have a friend at Walmart. Well, I shouldn't say where. This was like 10 years ago. Okay, take that off the tape if it's being recorded. All right. I forgot to finish this story for service. Don't let me finish. Don't let me do that this time. Somebody yell macho man if I haven't concluded this. All right. But I had a friend and he was blessed with a natural machismo that most men can only dream of. He had, dude, I'm telling you what, it was legit. He had like this noble bearing. His chest was always out. He seemed to stride with an unusual confidence. You know, he was always kind of looking off to the distance and he had this look on his face as if he was contemplating his land or his realm. You know what I mean? And it's like, how do you even, how do you have that look? I mean, I don't, I can't even emulate it right now. And when you asked him a question, he had an answer. And when you asked, what are we doing? He could tell you what to do. And it was no doubt that this guy shot up the ranks where we worked, right? He just looked like a boss. He was in charge, even without a title. But I'll tell you more about him later. Oh, cliffhanger. That stinks. Man, moving on to meekness. Matthew 5, 5. (laughs) We're having fun now. Another thing that got under my skin when I believed that Christianity equaled wimpiness is found in Matthew 5, verse 5, where Jesus says, Blessed are the meek. Ooh, that's not good. Because meekness sounds like weakness. But my wife said it best. Meekness isn't weakness. It's simple, easy to remember. It rhymes, has meter. But it sure sounds like weakness, doesn't it? Guys, 
Do you ever wake up in the morning and think, today I want to go be meek? <laughs> Nobody? It's not an aspiration of anybody else. It wasn't an aspiration of mine either. And you know what? I looked up definitions for this word. It didn't help. <laughs> didn't help at all. I don't know that I've ever encountered this. They keep beating around the bush. Like, meekness is kind of, it's gentleness. And then other translations translate the word gentleness. I'm like, well, gentle, it's like meekness, you know? And, uh, well, they agree on some things. Like, this, this word... Proutase, it, it means to accept the plan of God without question, the good things and the bad things. They can all kind of agree on that. And then it has something to do with other people too. And really it's, it's just about how you shouldn't think much of yourself. I'm like, wow, that's surprisingly unhelpful actually for all those words that were just spoken. So I got the handy dandy Vines expository. Oh yes, I'm pulling it out. And I got a definition from this that is awesome. Awesome. So let me find that. Check this out. It's kind of long, but this is good. This is the people God is blessing. Meekness, the word is proutes. It's not readily expressed in English. Oh, there we go. Vindicated. All right. The commonly used terms are insufficient, yada, yada, yada. Gentleness doesn't work. Okay. It's a condition of mind and heart. And as gentleness is appropriate rather to actions, this word is no better than that is used in other English versions. It must be clearly understood. This is what I want to say. It must be clearly understood that the meekness manifested by the Lord and commended to the believer is the fruit of power. I didn't see that coming. Anybody else see that coming? I did not. The meekness that God had and that he says we're supposed to have is the fruit of power. What does that mean? The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it's because he can't help himself. But the Lord was meek because he had the infinite resources of God at his command. Meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It is equanimity, that's what it says, of spirit that is neither elated nor cast down simply because it's not occupied with self at all. It's, it's not depressed. It's not weak. It's just, I just don't even really consider me. I'm sold out to God. And uh, by the way, I can act this way because I have power. Where did I get the power? Well, I'm poor in spirit. So I'm a conduit of God's power working through me everywhere I go. I'm aware of my need. I'm aware of my weakness. And because of that, I am perfectly positioned for God to work through me. Now I can be meek because I'm powerful interesting twist but meekness meekness has kind of a this interesting hardcore edge to it Jameson Fawcett and Brown another commentator I like they were writing about meekness in Galatians chapter 6 where it says if anybody sins you that are meek should restore them in a spirit of gentleness I'm sorry you that are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness or meekness so writing about this word this is what they say This is kind of older English. This is going to sound a little old English. Meekness is that temper of spirit towards God whereby we accept his dealings without disputing and then towards men whereby we endure their provocations and do not withdraw ourselves from the burdens their sins impose on us. Meekness is fearlessly living in the trenches with the world. And here these guys at Walmart are making fun of me 
and trying to convince me that being a Christian means I'm weak. They used to say things like they'd cuss. And they'd say, oh, don't cuss in front of Anthony. His ears will bleed. True story. And I remember one time I actually scratched my ear and I scratched it and it did bleed. And they were like, we knew it. You know, we knew it would happen. They did bleed. He's a weak, he's a weakling, you know. And they liked me and I liked them. They didn't hate me, you know, but they would rid me a lot. They'd be talking about a movie. I'd walk up and, oh, shh, don't talk about that. Anthony wouldn't like it. He's a Christian, you know, or you're a Christian. You, you couldn't handle that, you know. And I'm like, these are provocations that I am putting up with because I have a meek spirit, you know. I didn't know it, but that's kind of what it entails. You take people's crap and it's out of love, Right? I don't have the capacity for that. I'm pretty poor in spirit when it comes to that. Good thing, too, because what does that open me up for? The power of God working through me. But is that for wimps? Is that kind of meekness for babies? They're going to go out and they're willing to take it on the chin from the world because they love them? I don't think so. That takes courage, doesn't it? Admitting that you're poor in spirit... Is that, is that for weaklings? People try not to realize that. It takes courage to realize that. And when we get this foundation, when we are courageous enough and humble enough to get God's power working through our weakness, to have a position of meekness, we are just poised to do amazing, courageous things. That's the kind of person that the devil just winces when he thinks about. You know? And... I'd just like to talk about some famous bridge builders. I used the term. I worked it in. <laughs> in history, they kind of embodied this. One of them, one of them that's kind of timely now, Nicole said, hey, you should use Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was a bridge builder, man. And he operated on a level of selflessness and concern for humanity that really, I think, is, it fits the definition of meekness, doesn't it? So here's the question. Was he a wimp or a coward? No way. Did he need to be courageous to do what he did? Absolutely. It takes courage. How about, how about this one? How about Mother Teresa? She's the unattainable, unattainable ideal, right? When we talk about good people, somebody always says, Oh, Mother Teresa. I'm no Mother Teresa. You know, I would do that, except I'm no Mother Teresa. Listen to what Mother Teresa said about herself. And by the way, I read that she started working with the desperately poor in 1948, was going to resign, but the nuns in her organization wouldn't let her. She resigned finally the year she died. That was 1997. Almost 50 straight years ministering with the poor. People would call her and say, how do you do it? How do I do it? This is what she said about herself. I don't think there's anyone who needs God's help and grace as much as I do. Sometimes I feel so helpless and weak, I think that is why God uses me, because I cannot depend on my own strength. I rely on him 24 hours a day, and if the day had even more hours, then I would need his help and grace during those hours as well. Her secret isn't that she was a superhuman. Her secret was knowing that she was desperately poor in spirit, and she was a conduit for the compassion of Jesus Christ. Could you do that as a coward? No. It takes courage. She built bridges that she didn't even realize she was building during her life. She's a Roman Catholic in Calcutta, 
when she died, they gave her a state funeral. Look at the religious stuff. Some people weren't happy about that. A lot of people didn't like her stances on a lot of things. But they decided to honor her anyway because of the life she lives. Amazing. Amazing. Has anybody ever heard of Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott? Yeah, right. We got a hand. Awesome. I was, oh man, we watched a video in class. I thought it was just going to be any normal day. And by the end of class, I'm like crying like I did today. But I'm a man. Still. Me and Bill Menzer cry. It happens. So... Jim Elliott is a missionary. He was a missionary to these people in Ecuador called the Horani. This is a big deal because the Horani were incredibly violent. Everybody knew they were violent. And they had missionaries that were down there in Ecuador and they were reaching the Indians that were around the Horani that weren't so bad. But the Horani were pretty untouched for the small reason that they like to kill people with machetes and spears. You know, that's kind of a deterrent. So... In the 40s, you've got this strong, sold-out Christian named Jim Elliott. He's an athlete. He's highly educated. He gets married. He gets a team. And he's like, guys, we are reaching the world for Jesus. In 1949, he wrote this line in his journal, which blows my mind. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wow. That was his whole mindset in life. So he goes to Ecuador, spends time with the other nicer tribes, makes contact with the Harani, and then, I believe it's 1956, let me check, yeah, January of 1956, he and the other four guys he's with, the other three guys, excuse me, are in the Harani camp. They didn't know that the attitude was kind of south, that they weren't looked at favorably. They're all slaughtered right there in the camp. I'm at school. I'm watching a documentary called Through the Gates of Splendor where they're talking to the surviving members of the team and they describe how they found the bodies and it was terrible. It was terrible. And then this is what brought me to tears. His wife gets on there and says, you know, all four of them had guns. But they had purposed never to injure a Horani for any reason because they were there to save their souls and they knew where they were going. So they died. They gave their lives. That whole tribe got saved. Some of the people from that tribe actually travel in America and still speak with his wife. One of the men that killed Jim Elliot stands up in front of an arena and says this, When I get to heaven, I will meet Jim and I will say, Jim, I'm sorry I killed you. Thank you for dying for me. Wow. Is that courage? That's meekness. That's like militant samurai meekness. I will put up with anything from you because I love you. I am a conduit of the power and compassion of God to this world. How about Paul? You know, this, we're going to, I'm sorry, Paul. I'm going to lighten things up at your expense here, buddy. <laughs> Let's look at 2 Corinthians 11. I'm just going to read it. Listen to what Paul went through. I'll just read some of it. He's talking about his hardships. I've worked so much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, 
been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Dang. (laughs) Wow. Do we even need to ask if Paul was a coward or if he was wimpy? That's a tough dude, man. You know? And he's building bridges. He's concerned with building bridges of relationship between other people and those people to God. And he's willing to go through all of this to do it. Why? Because he's meek. And here I thought meekness was weakness. Dang. We go through hoops. We, we jump through hoops and contort and twist ourselves not to face our brokenness. Not to face our need. And yet, that's where we get freedom. My macho guy buddy, he's awesome. I have hope for him, by the way. I've known him for years. He's not all bad. But I was talking with one of our mutual friends, and me and my, our mutual friend is here, and, and Mr. Macho is behind us. And uh, my buddy's kind of awkward, and he's telling me, you know, we're walking down the hall. He's like, man, I asked another girl out, and she denied me too. You know, I baked her a cheesecake and everything, and she just didn't want to go out. I know, right? I'm like, somebody date this guy, for crying out loud. <laughs> So he's like, man, I'm just really bombed, you know. And, and he, his, he was downcast the whole bit. And this is years and years ago before I met Nicole. And I was telling him, I was like, you know, I kind of like this girl at the library. And I asked her to go out for coffee. And she totally denied me too. And he was like, yeah. I said, yeah, man. But you know what? At least we know we're not cowards. And he was like, yeah, that's right. We kind of had a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're getting denied all the time. But at least we're not cowards. But behind us, almost imperceptible, the macho guy... His, his eyes kind of lowered and his shoulders slunched maybe a little bit. And he said, I think instinctively, I am. It was weird. Unexpected. And I turned around and was like, oh man, come on, whatever, no you're not. And by then the moment was already gone. The shoulders were back, the gaze was up, the stride was confident. And he never wanted to talk about it again. There's a desperation in the heart of man. We need to recognize that we're poor in spirit because that is the conduit of the power and the heart of Jesus to the world. And meekness is not weakness. That is militantly strong. It's selfless. It's dangerous. It's on the edge. And we need to do that. I'm going to end with a sobering word from Paul. Revelation 21.8. I'm not going to read the whole laundry list, but Revelation 21, it's the end, guys. New Jerusalem is coming down. Right? It's glorious. And God is on the throne. And this is what it says in 21. I heard a loud voice, this is verse 3, from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe from their tear every eyes. Or He will wipe from their eyes every tear. That would be awkward. Doesn't sound like heaven. Forgive me. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. 
for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Now there's a list of people that won't make it in. Guess what tops the list? The cowardly. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic, the idolaters and liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. The cowardly top of the list. Courage is a gift of God. Let's choose to receive it. Because the cowardly can't do it. Christianity is not for the weak, and it's not for cowards. But the power of God is available at the minute we submit and recognize our poverty of spirit and are willing to become meek. Thank you. I'm going to give it to Dan to close. Thank you, Anthony. I just, you know, growing up, you look at every hero in the Bible, and you think, wow, 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 wow. And then you really look at everyone and you look what everyone went through. You go, oh my God. (laughs) You know, do I want to be sold into slavery and put in prison? Do I want to have to run away and, you know, start a whole new life somewhere? Uh, Every one of them. You know, I'm thinking, oh, is there a way to do this (laughs) that I don't have to, you know, go through all of that? Well, I still don't know the answer to that. Geez, you know, I hope that I can give up myself without having to be reminded every day, as Paul was. You know, I mean, not that he had to. I guess that didn't come out right. But uh, I was at uh, Apex yesterday, and uh, one of the dramas that the drama team did uh, was called Martyrs. And with all the drama going on in the back, they kind of acted out. Uh, you know, three specific people, but then all through uh, people suffering and even dying, you know, for Christ, for what they believed in. And the narrator is apologizing. He says, you know, if you've been fooled, if you've been told, you know, that becoming a Christian was easy, if you've been told that living a Christian life was easy, I apologize. You know, so you know, and then he went on and on. It's it's really good. You can get it from Peter, I'm sure, and they'll probably put it on their on the worship arts website. But he said, you know, you will suffer. You will. It takes courage, and that's what the whole thing was about. You have to have courage to be a Christian. You have to be able to take the ridicule and the abuse. You know, here, we've got it easy. You know, geez, you might be embarrassed. Not that you should be. You know, I won't be ashamed of the gospel. But, I mean, you feel rejected. That's what we suffer. We suffer rejection, you know, and maybe put out, you know, where people all over the world, you know, are having their heads lopped off. Okay, they're... You know, they're, they're being persecuted, thrown in prison, starved. You know, we see it in the news and we're appalled. But 
the all underlining thing was Christ is worth it. The reward is there. You know, to suffer for Christ is nothing compared to what the reward is. What Christ suffered for us, he thought was nothing compared to his reward, which is you. And our reward is him. So I think basically what Anthony, you know, was pointing out is that it's not about you. It's not about me. What we have to do is be able to give up everything we grew up with, all that self-reliance, you know, and that's hard. Boy, it's hard to give it all. And maybe that's why sometimes it does take something really spectacular in a lot of lives to open their eyes to say, I don't have this. So... What we have to do is give it to Him. Give our all. That's all He has. He gave His all, and that's all He asks of us. Okay? So, everybody stand. Let's just pray. Jesus, thank You for all You gave. Thank You for showing us what it is to live for the Father. Thank you for being an example, not just in your words, but in your deeds and everything you did all the way to the cross when you gave your life for us. And Father, we want to lay down our lives for you. Holy Spirit, help us. None of us want to be knocked over the head. (laughs) But if it's what it takes, do it. Soften my heart. Soften my heart. Give me the courage and the strength to lay down my will to lay down my life. Open me up. Tear down the veils. Speak plainly for what you would have me do. I give my life, my world to you. whom I can trust. Amen. Thanks again for joining us.